It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So, this is odd. Painful realization that all has gone wrong, and nobody cares at all. Nobody cares at all about the latest episode of Columbia House Party. Jake, what's up, man? Oh, not much. You know, another day. Yeah. I hope that intro's wrong. I hope people do care about the latest episode of Columbia House Party. I did too. I, I will admit, I didn't get much sleep last night, so I feel like I'm in a good place for this episode, because it feels appropriate to be quite tired for the lyrical content and the the whole that whole thing so i think it's good it's good yeah i'm also i'm probably in the right headspace i mean it's a it's a bit of a bittersweet day over here the dog i'm fostering got adopted oh so i'm no longer fostering that dog as of like two days from now congratulations to russ good job russ proud of you yeah Yes, and I will no longer get to sing Your Hair is Everywhere as I sweep the house for the third time each day, sadly. He's a, um, he's a sheddy dog? Oh, big time, yeah. He's like a Roddy Shepherd mix. and Oh, just, yeah, that'll do it. Just full-on, like, tumbleweeds blowing across the apartment. <laughs> it's great. We, he also, Russ also forced us to delay this recording by, like, 15 minutes, so sorry for that, Jake. That's okay. I was doing anything, so it's fine. He's okay though. He uh he got like a weird bite on his foot that we don't know where he got it. And then him and I oh. were out like running around playing at the dog park today, which is all sandy. And then it like swelled up and he wouldn't stop licking it. So we just had to take care of that. He's fine. I hope his, I hope his little foot's okay. Yeah. Immediately upon the issue being resolved, he attacked me and tried to like box with me. So I think he's fine. He'll be all right. <laughs> well, that's good. Yes. All right. Enough about Russ. But um. I'm sure people don't mind hearing about a dog. And if they Yeah, do, who doesn't like dogs? Yeah. Then they can listen to a different show. We so. like we like dogs. 
Yeah, it's two minutes on dogs, and we're about to do an hour on being sad. So uh, we now ask that you open up your sad boy handbooks to page one, or sad teen handbooks. I shouldn't, I shouldn't gender specify because you could certainly get sad to today's episode as a woman or non-binary person or whatever you identify with as well. So open your sad teen handbook up to page one. Uh, Jake, how are you feeling about today's episode? I'm good. I'm excited. I feel like it's uh, going to be some takes today. I think. Yeah, a peak Jake and Blake disagree episode. I, I think. think so. Yeah, I'm not sure there is really not that we're like intensely disagreeing, but this might be the for what people might expect from this show. I think this might be the uh, the bigger the biggest disagreement so far. Yeah, I certainly think it's going to be the one where I get chirped the most after, but also people are like. Jake, what the hell, man? Oh, I don't I don't think you're going to get tripped for this at all. I think it will be directed mostly. No, I am. I mean, Lauren Mitchell pre-chirped me for this. Yeah, but Lauren pre-chirps us for everything we do. Yeah. If you think back to our uh, Death Cab episode that Lauren Mitchell guested on, today's artist came up and she said, oh, of course I listened to them and was a fan of them. <laughs> so I look forward to that. Uh, Lauren also described today's episode because I couldn't recall for sure if she had said that like, jokingly while also liking it or was just chirping it so i had reached out to her like hey we're, we're doing this would you want to come back on and she pulled the uh summer line of to me that's just uh, <laughs> one guitar and a lot of whining i mean uh, i disagree we'll get we'll get into it we'll get into it yeah it is those things but yes, in a good way that's fair it's not just that yes it's uh it's so much deeper you just wouldn't <laughs> understand mom <laughs> All right, uh, I suppose we should get into it. Uh, the album we're discussing today came to define a genre and a moment in music. And I don't mean that as an exaggeration. This album is and artists are literally the narrative through line of Andy Greenwald's excellent 2003 book, Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock, Teenagers, and Emo. And while we've debated what exactly classifies as emo now over the course of our 39 episodes, there's very little debating that the album we're discussing today was in its moment, what people thought emo was and what people believed when they heard the word emo. It has the all-time record in MSN and AOL Instant Messenger <laughs> statuses. Uh, it has a half a dozen monumental acoustic emo pop tracks and a massive influence on what was acceptable for young, emotional singers to sing about moving forward. Today, we take a look at Dashboard Confessional's 2001 album, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. I heard about your trip I heard about your souvenirs I heard about the cool breeze and the cool nights And the cool guys that you spent them with I guess I should have heard of them from you I guess I should have heard of them from you Don't you see, don't you see That the charade is over And all the best deceptions and the clever cover story Fingers 
you know, I take back what I said at the top that I said this was a good album to go in with like the sleepy mindset. I don't know. L- listen to that one. That was like a lullaby. Just being, yeah, um, being lulled. That that was the best deceptions off of the places you've come to fear the most. Uh, it was pretty inevitable that we'd get here at some point. So much so that I was making a smoothie the other day and listening to this album to prep for this episode. And my roommate, Paul, who one of his most defining personality traits is that he doesn't really like music, knew it was Dashboard and was shocked that we hadn't done it yet. Yeah, I feel like this was like early, early spreadsheet brainstorming when we first started the show. This was like one of one of the first ones that we were like, well, we have to do this one eventually. Yeah. Take it back Sunday. Brand new Dashboard professional. You know, I we got to the Follow Boys and Weezers, but yeah, this is you got to spread out the hits, just like a, a well structured <laughs> yeah. album. We gotta we gotta spread out the big ones, the world builders, as we've tended to call them. Uh, this is a big one. It's also uh, pretty immensely influential, and, and not only because Dashboard Confessional got pretty successful um, coming out of this album. But as our recent guest Taylor Markarian explored in her book From the Basement, uh, the entire kind of pop punk and emo music of the early 2000s had a pretty major effect on emotional openness among teens, uh, people's willingness to be vulnerable. This maybe wasn't the best for certain teenage boys in certain 519 area codes who didn't quite know how to navigate those emotions (laughs) yet. You know, I I do think, and we're going to talk about this when we get into some song by song, Karaba does a better job than most in his songwriting of not going the kind of female-directed anger way of coping. So that combined with, you know, his success and kind of his omnipresence on the the LimeWire circuit when uh, when I was high school age uh, was helpful for me just in terms of, you know, navigating some, some pretty tough emotions and knowing that those things, you know, you're not alone in those feelings. Uh, Jake, you have much less connection to Dashboard Confessional and we're getting you out of your comfort zone a little bit with this one, right? Yeah, which is weird because like I am such a emo pop punk guy, but for some reason I never got to th- dashboard which sounds weird because of how big and monumental they were it wasn't even like not liking them i just never really sought them out like i heard a couple songs and i was like "Eh, it's not for me and then never dug deeper even though they were kind of everywhere and then i think probably the sort of like you know the so-called emo backlash and as as you said this is like what i think a lot of people think about when they hear the term emo I think that probably pushed me away from it a little bit as well. Um, I think we had a question in a mailbag months ago of what do you think of when you hear, when you think of emo? And this is absolutely what I think of first and foremost. Not always in a negative way, not always in a positive way either. Uh, But I just kind of missed them and never got into them and never really tried to get into them in later life. Unlike some other bands we've talked about where, you know, I wasn't the most into them maybe at the age you're supposed to be, but it got into them later because they play my kind of stuff. But I just never really, this one never really clicked for me and just never became one of those bands, even though obviously if we're going to talk about, you know, quote unquote, the culture, this is a pretty, pretty big one. See, for me, you know, with how simple some of these songs are and your own musical background, I I just think it's jealousy on your part in a very similar (laughs) way to which, you know, for me, it's representation. It's it's nice to not be the only nice, handsome, tattooed, sad boy is uh, that's fair. You know, it's nice that one of us had success. I will tell you, you're definitely not the only one. 
Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> there, that is for certain. There are many of that. Yeah, we're going to talk more about my connection to Dashboard as we get into some of the album and some of the Fallout, uh, as well as you know uh, a connection I have to them through my youngest brother. We are going to do that after this. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. All right, so as noted off the top, some of this is going to lean fairly heavily on Andy Greenwald's 2003 book, Nothing Feels Good, which basically tracks the explosion of Dashboard's popularity in the early 2000s to help weave us from the Promise Ring and Sunny Day Real Estate through Makeout Club and Live Journal and to Jimmy World and Taking Back Sunday. So Dashboard's kind of the narrative through line there. And that book, really, I've mentioned it a bunch of times on this podcast. It's one of my favorites. It really sets the table for the the entire concept of this podcast within the genre we most often talk about. Uh, and Dashboard's big enough to be that narrative through line. So obviously it's uh, Dashboard are a pretty big band for what we're doing here with the podcast as well. Uh, if you haven't checked out Andy Greenwald's book, Nothing Feels Good. Now, having said that, I apologize a little bit because Wikipedia has cribbed heavily from that book as well. So uh, while I opened back up my dog-eared and sometimes highlighted copy to flip through, uh, generally when I wrap up my prep for these episodes, I'll do a, a pass through Wikipedia to make sure that I didn't you know, miss anything obvious or notable. And then a lot of the stuff was already in there. So, you know, this is not a, uh, it's not us firing up Wikipedia. It's Wikipedia using the same terrific source material as us. So uh, it's not you. It's not you firing up Wikipedia. <laughs> let's, uh, let's be clear there. Exactly. 
Yeah, we're all just pulling from... I mean, Andy Greenwald literally wrote a book that's heavily about Dashboard Confessional. You tell me <laughs> us and Wikipedia aren't going to pull from that a little bit. It's a great book and casts Chris Caraba in particularly in a, a really interesting light as kind of the, the figurehead of the, the emo and pop punk surge of the early 2000s. Prior to that, though, back in 1998... Chris Crabba was the lead singer of a band called Further Seems Forever, which was a bit of an emo pop punk band that was on a fairly standard path at that time. Uh, Crabba was their lead singer and keyboardist. He had also been the guitarist in a band called The Agency. Uh, basically, he was making music with the friends he skated with and went to shows with. Not dissimilar to a lot of the band's starting points that we've covered. However, while working with Further Seems Forever, Crabba was exploring his more acoustic and emotional side that he thought was too personal for Further Seems Forever. Basically, he didn't want to get that personal with the band songs. He was doing his own thing on the side. He recorded three songs alone with an acoustic that would eventually be released as the Drowning EP, and which he basically said was just him practicing. Eventually, though, he decided to that his solo side project would be a real thing. It would be called Dashboard Confessional, which is a name he picked after writing The Sharp Hint of New Tears, in which he opens with the lyric, On the way home, this car here is my confessions. I think tonight I'll take the long way. In 2000, Caraba released the Swiss Army Romance as Dashboard Confessional, uh, which didn't get a ton of love commercially or in terms of uh, getting reviewed or anything like that. But it did get some buzz because Screaming Infidelities got, you know, a little bit of online buzz and a little bit of a breakthrough as a, as a non-traditional single, like a we'll call it an internet era single. Uh, and then Caraba also toured the album and had a lot of friends in the and connections in the pop punk scene. Uh, so you had this acoustic guy kind of standing out on a lot of these pop punk shows. Uh, now, Swiss Army Romance, the album is notable for three reasons beyond just being a good album. One is that two of the tracks are carried over to the places you will come to fear the most, the album we're talking about today, which we'll get into after. Two, it clearly shows uh, Caraba's early 2000s pop punk leanings because there are some truly fallout boy-esque song titles like <laughs> ender will save us all uh shout out to andrew wiggins and most importantly it convinced chris Caraba to eventually leave further seems forever as Caraba told bandwagon in 2017 nothing was cut from that record uh meaning the swiss army romance i didn't expect anyone to actually hear that record i had no reason to expect that people would when I had enough songs to make a record, I just went in and recorded it in my friend's apartment slash closet. Uh, he recorded it over just two nights, initially on a tape recorder. He did the songs in random order that then became the album order. So despite all that weirdness, uh, it was it turned out pretty well. In Nothing Feels Good, he says, I knew the only chance I had to make it in the music scene was to go out there and do all the legwork to push yourself and make yourself known. I was willing to do that, and they, meaning Further Seems Forever, weren't. It was like, if we're going to be a band, let's be a band. This isn't going to happen by itself. So, Caraba on the heels of Swiss Army Romance tells Further Seems Forever he's leaving. But first, he completes the 2001 album, The Moon Is Down With Them, including this song, The Moon Is Down. Now we're all the terminal 
Jake, I want to give you a crack at describing what Further Seems Forever sounds like now that you've spent uh, the week listening to old Dashboard stuff. They sound to me kind of like, it's weird, right? Because like Caraba has such, in retrospect, it's impossible to divorce Caraba's voice from Dashboard in my head because it's such a typical, quote unquote, like emo voice. Whereas Further Seems Forever's music to me sounds closer to, and I guess the time period fits, but it sounds closer to those sort of mid, mid-90s emo bands, like your braids, your Texas is the reasons, but with this mid-2000s vocalist, which I find interesting. I also find it funny that you mentioned that it was kind of a novelty and weird that he was like the acoustic emo guy standing out when that's like 85% of it now and how common it is for all like the punk guys to like, you know, Chuck Reagan's and your Dave Hawes's to go out and just have acoustic guitars and how Carabo was sort of like, Oh, what he's just a guy with a guitar. And now everyone's just a guy with a guitar. I don't want, I, I feel like I'm making an argument that he was ahead of his time, but I'm not sure I'm trying to, but no, you, I mean, look, there's a, Again, there's a reason that he's kind of the figurehead of this movement. He right. was he may not have been ahead of his time necessarily, but he was in he was exactly at the right time is maybe the the way yeah. to put it. Or or maybe if he was ahead, it was only by a little bit, which allowed him to kind of be the, you know, what steered this this subsection of the movement. I think that's a good way to put it. Further Seems Forever with Karaba as the front man also have a really great cover of Bye 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 by NSYNC, which you should check out. Um <laughs> And despite all of this, the relationship stayed strong. Further Seems Forever have opened for Dashboard multiple times with a different vocalist. And in 2010, Caraba rejoined the band, uh, including the 2012 album Penny Black, which is okay. It's actually kind of surprising that Further Seems Forever stayed together after Caraba since he did a lot of the writing and composing and didn't think they were as committed. Like that has, okay, this band is done written all over it. But instead he left and got really successful. And then they were like, ah, we'll just keep doing it and we'll open for him a bunch. Which, yeah, I don't think I actually, I think like you told me a while ago, but I don't think I actually knew before that, that he was in further seems forever. Cause they're like, a, they're a band name. I know they're not a band. I know, but they're like a band name. That's very recognizable to me and has been for a long time. And I don't think I ever knew there was that not only connection, but like literally Chris Carabas sang and wrote their songs. Yeah. Yeah, they're one of the one of the the three big F's. Further seems forever, funeral for a friend, and from first to last. The, the <laughs> I do Fs. get the I do get them all mixed up. It's true. Yeah, um, and and you also get that you could have the extra layer of mix up that further seems forever was Chris Crabba, and from first to last was Skrillex, and it's so they're both <laughs> that's right bands. That's right. Moving forward, so Crabba. Gets that album out there with Further Seems Forever, uh, leaves the band, drops his EP called The Drowning, which we ta- we mentioned earlier was just him playing around for three songs. Uh, the Swiss Army Romance had drummed up enough interest on the pop puck scene, despite Krabba sticking out as this acoustic act, um, that the indie label Fiddler Records had trouble keeping up with the demand. So Fiddler eventually licensed the record to drive through records to keep up with that demand. Uh, and then Amy Fleischer of Fiddler moved to Vagrant Records and pushed for them to sign Dashboard. Uh, Rich Egan of Vagrant called him the most refreshing indie rock I'd heard in forever. Now, sticking point. drive through who had just licensed the rights to Swiss Army Romance, threatened to sue Caraba over going to Vagrant. 
Uh, so that caused them to cease supplying Swiss Army Romance, which could have cut off a lot of Dashboard's momentum. Uh, they have this album that's getting some underground buzz and popularity, and now suddenly drive Through is like, no, we're not producing it anymore. Well, Grabba was fairly fed up with this, as you might expect. Uh, he realized that Swiss Army wasn't going to sell much anymore, and he decided to quickly pivot to focusing on his next album. Hence, the incredibly short turnaround. There's only one year and a few days between his first two albums, uh, with a Further Seems Forever album mixed in there. <laughs> As Karaba told Bandwagon back in 2017, I had to decide what to do about that. I thought either I could deal with the possibility that my career was over, or I could sign with the label I intended to. I just got busy recording a new record, so the next day after they told me they were pulling the record, that's what I did. I signed with Vagrant Records, I flew back to Florida, and I met my brother Matthew at the airport with my guitar, and I went straight to James's apartment and recorded a new batch of songs. Uh, James, in this case, is producer friend James Paul Weisner, who uh, produced the Swiss Army Romance and... Uh, the places you've come to fear the most. So in early 2001, Karaba spent three weeks writing these songs at, depending on the interview, uh, either his friend's apartment or his mom's couch. The story has changed depending on when you when you are getting the quotes. So who knows? But it's a much, it fits the genre and the moment much better if he wrote these songs on his mom's couch than on his friend's apartment. Um, <laughs> as, much as, as much as the visual of him just getting off a plane with only an acoustic guitar as his brother picks him up is a really good one. I kind of like it with him and his friends just like chilling and wrote one of the most influential emo albums of all time. <laughs> yeah. Um, that emo album, by the way, includes two songs off the Swiss army romance. As I mentioned, the reason was uh, when he worked out the deal with drive through, he had, he negotiated the right to re-record them. So a uh, smart bit of business there. He also going into this, you know, you might think the situation put some pressure on him. Uh, as he told Andy Greenwald that nothing feels good, he felt no pressure because, and quote, we weren't savvy enough to know how to do the album any differently anyway. So uh, <laughs> over two and a half weeks between dates on tour, once again with James Paul Weisner producing, um, Caraba added bassist Dan Bonebreak and drummer Mike Marsh. Uh, they had barely practiced together and they jump in the studio. By the way, uh, if you look at the band's history, Scott Schoenbeck is the only member credited throughout the band's history, but he's actually not on uh, the places you've come to fear the most. Dashboard is, for most intensive purposes, Caraba. Uh, Marsh and Leffler and uh, were replaced in 2015, so um, Schoenbeck's technically there the whole time, but Bone Break was the basis on this album. Really, when we talk about Dashboard, you know, even though there's, there's a whole band there, we're talking Caraba. Uh, so, this album is released on March 20th, 2001, barely a year after Swiss Army Romance. It is 10 songs and 29 minutes, which is, uh, you know, pretty good. I don't know what your history crying is like, Jake, but it's a pretty <laughs> pretty snappy cry right there, 29, 29 minutes of sadness. I will say when we were doing this episode and got to, you know, dig in and research for the episode of a band that I'm not wild about, you see that 10 song, 29 minutes, and it's just like, mmm. That's, that's the good stuff right there. I yeah, it. it's... Uh, but also, I, do, I think... I do dig it. I think it suits the album. Like, the album's so sparse sonically to begin with. Like, so much of it is just <laughs> one guitar and a lot of complaining. But, yeah. But, like, that... I don't think you can do that for 55 minutes of your first or second, depending on how you want to look at it, record. Yeah, and, and, you know, these songs, I also, it's weird because I experienced Dashboard initially as not a singles artist uh, because 
that he didn't have at least through through the end of this album didn't have any big singles um but because like this was so much of the limewire era for me and friends recommending one song at a time or whatever this was very much an album i came to one song at a time and it's really nice actually to fire up the album where you know i personally have an attachment to like six of these 10 songs and the album's so tight that you don't really notice the other four songs um it almost feels like you're playing like like this almost feels like a best of uh, which, as we'll, we'll get into with the album that followed this, um, you know, a best of, I, I was very tempted to suggest we actually do what's not a best of dashboard, but his MTV Unplugged 2.0, which is effectively a best of the first three dashboard albums. So this one, you know, keeping it tight makes it feel like that. By the way, I mentioned that there's not really a prominent single off of this album. There is a song that I think most people will uh, immediately recognize off of this album, and that song is Screaming Infidelities. I'm missing your bed I never sleep Avoiding the spots Where we'd have to speak And this bottle of beast Is taking me home I'm cuddling close To blankets and sheets But you're not alone You're not discreet Make sure I know Who's taking you home Leaving your note over again And there's not a word that I comprehend Except when you sign it I love you always and forever breakup anthem that's like the dashboard song right like i know you know their discography better than i do and i know they have i know they have other like big big hits but like that's like the one right i mean it's the one that i most associate with them at, at the end of this podcast in our ranking segment we're going to rank our own personal most dashboard songs but this is the one this is the first dashboard song i heard this is my intro to them this is because it skews on the much much sadder side you know he has uh, he's had bigger singles that are a little more optimistic and uh this suits the the place i think he holds uh a little better so yeah i would agree with that it's also you know a, a, a like I said, a breakup anthem. I, I want to, I want to pull a quote here from. I shouldn't say friend of the podcast because he was just a guest and probably doesn't consider us, doesn't <laughs> consider the, the podcast a friend. But uh, Hanif Abdurraqib for NPR on Twenty Years of Swiss Army Romance. Uh, his takeaway also sets the tone well here for the places you've come to fear the most. Hanif wrote, 
Whether the emo music of the 2000s and its many offshoots have done more harm than good is in the eye of the beholder. If I'm weighing my damage as a fan, I don't think I can say that I've broken even. So many songs from the years when I love this music most feel less approachable to me today for the recklessly imbalanced lens they place on relationships. I'm not as jaded or as angry as I used to be, and my pathways to cynicism are found outside of music these days. But it helps that in dashboard songs, the beloved rarely becomes the enemy. The enemy is the mess of emotions that one cannot unravel themselves from. And even then, through the unraveling, the enemy becomes beloved. And I think, you know, far be it for me to say anyone's going to be able to describe this stuff better than Hanif anyway. Um, but obviously, <laughs> he sums that up really well. And I think Screaming Infidelities is the best example of what Hanif is trying to get at there, where so much of this moment is, and, and so much of the, the songs and the albums that we hold dear from this time are pushing emotion outward at a target. And this one is so much more introspective and, and fighting through, even this song, Screaming Infidelities, is a song about being left by a lover who the context certainly suggests was cheating on you. And to have that not skew toward the genre's usual misogyny is really important and meaningful. Uh, first of all, I think it helps it hold up pretty well when you go back and visit it. But a part of this moment, and maybe this is more a couple years after this Dashboard album, um, but you know what we see in a lot of the pop punk and emo adjacent stuff we like today is that it's not directing this vitriol at the person you were in a relationship with that maybe didn't work out. A lot of it is looking inward and, and exploring not just how you were a part of the problem, but how the emotions themselves are the real challenge, not not necessarily the other person. And I think Dashboard is such an important table setter for that style of songwriting and that so style of exploring your complicated feelings in a relationship. Yeah, and I love that quote from Hanif about um, how his cynicism now as an older person comes from outside of music. Yeah, like the entire world, for example. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it is all on fire all the time. But even like thinking back to like relating these songs to the ages that I think a lot of people relate them to, especially young or men or boys our age. And like, I relate as being like a shitty younger boy to like that, like, as I'm sure a lot of people do, not in a good way, but like relating those songs to that cynicism and to that vitriol and how I think that might be why so many sort of music writers our age are going back so heavily to emo and pop punk these days because, and also it helps there's a bunch of really good new stuff that obviously transcends and in a lot of ways breaks and makes better what came before. But like, it does allow us to sort of revisit these songs from the lens we have today than the lens we had five, 10, 15 years ago, which I think is to your point about it, this one holding up better as because it sort of lacks a lot of that. I don't think is one I really thought of while listening to the record, but now that I'm thinking about it in retrospect, it does make sense because this does sound Maybe it is because it's mostly just a guy in acoustic guitar, but it does have a much more, let's say, timeless sound where you compare that even to something like Enema of the State or, you know, From Under the Cork Tree, and immediately you're like, oh, okay, this is 1999, this is 2005. 
Yeah, and my you know my favorite comparison for Screaming Infidelities, as I was thinking about this, was um, "Cute Without the E" by Taking Back Sunday, which is you know Tell All Your Friends is probably the album that I've listened to the most in my life, and I actually I would say you know other than Dashboard, Taking Back Sunday is one of the bands that their early stuff holds up um, some of the best because the music is just so much better than uh, a lot of what was going on at that time, and Adam Lazar is such a talented frontman, but. If you look at a song like Cute Without the E, and, you know, I remember driving around the back roads of Cambridge, like on Blair Road, like screaming, your lipstick is collar, don't bother, Angel. And this, like, back and forth song about, like, how dare you cheat on me? Like, I'm so angry. And, like, this is a, you know, you'll regret this kind of thing, not in a threatening way, but in a, like, emotional way. And then you hear Screaming Infidelities where, you know, a lot of it's, like, you know, it's exploring that same experience, but it's not exploring the same emotions or the same kind of directionality of those emotions. And I think, you know, I, I obviously this is not the level at which I was engaging with these songs at 16 and 17, you know, it's probably a helpful counter to have had to, you know, not go down that like pre incel path of like, how, <laughs> how dare you not date me? Um, totally, this is my unrequited love. I, I, I completely agree, but I do think it's also indicative of how I think both dashboard and emo as a whole sort of got miscast in the sense that that side of it did exist of the sort of how dare you do this to me side of things. But there was also this earnest introspective side to it and outsider side to it that I know we've talked about many times and I'm sure we will talk about many times again, but it, I do think that there is something to be said for the, like, I think because Dashboard are like kind of the quintessential emo sound, or at least what people think of that time period of emo sound, it gets lost in the fact that like they weren't what sort of the mainstream, and I don't like that word, but you know what I mean, was sort of putting on emo and associating with emo. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, it's a... It's tough. It's and this is the issue with and our emo would come to come to the the stage here. This is the issue with cat with painting with a broad stroke, right? About a genre and really even about a movement. And this is something that nothing feels good does a good job of exploring. Is like, you know, okay, this this generation of teenagers who found solace in these online communities built around music. Well, like you know, he talks to a handful of women who were teenage girls at the time, and like that's that's an entirely different experience for them. And I'm, I'm sure it was appreciated that not every artist was like, Hey, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you have to love me. Uh, anyway, where, so in terms of the places you've come to fear the most and how it's structured, screaming infidelities comes second on the album, the best deceptions, which we played off the top comes third, uh, in terms of, uh, story and tone, they're kind of like a one, two punch, by the way, uh, Screaming Infidelities did get a music video in January of 2002 and won an MTV2 award at the 2002 MTV VMAs, uh, which helped get the album a little bit better exposure almost a year after it had come out. It's funny. For someone who did not does not have any connection to this album whatsoever, I can picture that music video in my head. I can't picture the whole thing, but I can picture him in the video with his guitar at the mic. So yeah, Screaming Infidelities and Best Deceptions are kind of this one-two punch. Um, the Best Deceptions, again, which we played off the top, is more biting, uh, certainly more bitter, that there was a lack of honesty in retrospect. Uh, it also contains an all-timer final verse of how, 
uh, complicated post-breakup connections can be with respect to, um, you know, feeling at times emotionless and neither party being fully committed to the split or in a place to re-engage. It's, you're calling too late, too late to be graceful is a, a great little kind of closing to that song. Um, and those two songs as a back-to-back were set up really well by the the album opener, The Brilliant Dance, which is kind of this smart song, which at first, if you don't really engage with it, seems like a song about the initial stages of love. And then when you dig a little deeper is like kind of a warning of what you're getting yourself into. Uh, so those three songs are like their own little arc. Uh, and then the middle of the album, I think is built, ar- it kind of builds around uh, Saints and Sailors and The Good Fight, which are this kind of refresh in the middle of this really painful start and a really painful end. You get Saints and Sailors and The Good Fight, which are a little more upbeat um, in terms of if you wanted to consider this album as one whole story or about one whole relationship. Uh, they fit a little earlier on before Screaming Infidelities because they are kind of about the in-relationship instead of post-relationship complications. Uh, but in terms of the way the album flows and the way the album feels, you get this kind of like upbeat reprieve, which the lyrics are still sad, but you can sing along to them a little better, a little more sing-songy than the, the content has any right to be, which is best exemplified on this track, Saints and Sailors. This is where I say I've had enough No one should ever feel the way that I feel now A walking open wound Trophy display of bruises And I don't believe that I'm getting any better Any better Waiting here with hopes of foam will ring And I'm thinking awful things Pretty sure that few would notice And this apartment is starving for an argument Anything at all to break the silence Nobody should ever feel the way that I feel now. (laughs) A sequel to Nothing Feels Good. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, I'm going to lean on Hanif here because, again, he was writing about the Swiss Army romance, but I think this applies to the places you've come to fear the most uh, as well because, really, Karaba's biggest strength is that no one writes through kind of these complicated feelings and inner turmoil quite as kind of succinctly and punchy as he does. Hanif said, for Karaba... The very having of emotions was a spectacular feat. Um, so, you know, it's that that Saints and Sailors is kind of explores that. And I, I kind of I, I definitely see why someone approaching it with fresh ears now could have trouble with it. Like, you know, as a teen, I was unfamiliar with a lot of these feelings. And Karab is a helpful guide and, you know, a helpful, hey, having these emotions is like a worthwhile experience on its own, even if it's really painful. But yeah, so I, I could certainly see like, you, Jake, not to put words in your mouth, but as a 30-something coming back to it in 2020, if you didn't have that initial connection, I, I certainly see why some of it would be like, you know, I don't get it or whatever. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, at the, in its time, it's like the way it explores the simple existence of these emotions was was meaningful. Yeah, and I think it's kind of not funny, but kind of interesting and I guess kind of obvious also the way that we sort of like the lyrics we hear and the lyrics we don't when we're of that formative age and how 
so much of this is like, we can look at it now as, you know, in our thirties and break that down as we just did. And then the people he was writing for, I think a lot of it was not all of it, obviously, but like the sort of, I don't know. I maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong because I was never super into this band, but it seems like he's writing from a very community focused kind of idea that we see a lot today. And I never really got that sense from them when I was younger or even till like right now. So what's complicated about this in learning about, you know, exactly the place dashboard holds is that obviously these songs are deeply personal and they're very painful. Uh, but the writing process itself for this album is still something Caraba hasn't been totally open about. Uh, even in Nothing Feels Good, where Greenwald gets hours of interviews with him and kind of follows him around, Greenwald writes, For all the talk of Chris raking over his exes in his music, the true constant is that he's putting the gun to his own head. There is an enormous amount of specific hurt that he has refused to talk about in public and continues to obsess over. Uh, Caraba himself wondered if that's what allows people to connect to him and the music so well, telling Greenwald, maybe it's because all the stuff that I keep buried is the stuff most people work through at that age. So possible that that's kind of the connection there where it's like, you know, one of the we talked with Hanif a little bit actually about uh, the Wonder Years. And one of the things I love about Dan Campbell's songwriting is that it's like hyper specific but seems extremely relatable and accessible. And it's like, no, I wasn't in that diner and I didn't spend that exact amount on that meal and I didn't have that exact sweater, but like I've had my own version of that. And for Caraba, I think, you know, with his songwriting, it's even though he gets specific, you can put yourself in that place a lot. Uh, I think that's especially true later in the album as we get to the unrequited love uh, anthem Again, I go on notice, which, you know, I mentioned that this album is up there in the MSN Hall of Fame. Well, this has the MSN record setting closed lipped. Another Goodnight Kiss is robbed of all its passion lyric. Uh, this is Again, I Go Unnoticed. So quiet, another wasted night. The television steals a conversation. Exhale, another wasted breath. Again, it goes unnoticed. Man, I got to say, I as I was not into this stuff, obviously, as we established when I was 15 or 14 or whatever. But if I had known there was a song on the album called Again, I Go Unnoticed, ooh, 14, 15-year-old Jake would be all over that shit. 
Yeah, uh, everyone loved this. This is the, not only the, like, people who are actually going unnoticed album, but, like, the popular people who want to feel like they <laughs> were going unnoticed or going unnoticed by one specific person. This was yep. this was easily the most MSN status I feel attacked. song that I can remember from high school. I feel attacked. I also think that song, like, we, we mentioned earlier that Screaming Infidelities is kind of like the dashboard song, but I feel like this is the song that best exemplifies the dashboard acoustic sound. Like when, when Lauren jokes, it's one guitar and a lot of complaining, or like when you think of what this stripped down dashboard is, like this is the sound, I think, right? Yeah, and he's also, I think, vocally really leaning into the sound on this one. Not that he doesn't throughout the record, but especially, like even on Screaming Infidelities, it's still like, He's got a, he has a very nice voice and yeah, he doesn't, yeah, but like this one's really leading into like the, the emo voice, so to speak. <laughs> For sure. And, and this, this track, again, I go notice sets up this great album closer, which again, takes us to a dark place. Um, this one, two closing punch of, again, I go notice and this bitter pill, uh, this bitter pill isn't necessary or sorry, there's a, the, the title track is in between there, which is a good song as well, but I don't think stands up. As well as, again, I go unnoticed in this bitter pill together, um, you know, tonally and, and in terms of closing out this arc. Uh, this bitter pill itself, the album version isn't, uh, you know, it isn't like an all-world closer or anything, even though it tonally closes the story really well. Um, what I find most interesting about this song is a story Greenwald shares in Nothing Feels Good, where late in a set, Karaba is closing with Hands Down, and in the middle of Hands Down... He transitions to playing this bitter pill and he's struggling through the song and he inverts the lyrics to be about himself instead of about the other person. And then as he's like breaking down, voice cracking, Greenwald is like worrying about him on stage. (laughs) Then he snaps back into hands down to finish it out. I would pay good money to see a rendition of this. Greenwald paints it as like this immensely painful moment and Carabba was very clearly working through something. Um, But I can't hear this bitter pill now and not wonder what that version of this bitter pill would sound like. We haven't really talked about this or it hasn't come up so much in the normal episodes or mailbag episodes, but I love a live performance lyric switch. If like, Oh yeah. Some, if someone's going through it for real and like that song's hitting them and you can tell they're changing up the lyrics for a reason, I love that shit. Yeah, my favorite one of those uh, was at a Great Big Sea concert, obviously. <laughs> of course. Classic emo. Yeah, so when I was, uh, this was the first concert I ever went to. Um, so in the song Mary Mac by Great Big Sea, they mention giving back your change a couple uh, twice in the song. It says once it says, um, will you give me will you give me back my change? And then later in the song, it said the, the person is responding. I'll give you back your change. And in the live version, Alan Doyle, instead of singing, I give you back, I give you back your change, said, here's your friggin change. <laughs> and my mom was so mad that he used the word friggin on the drive. home, <laughs> Like she was steamed the whole ride home. Well, she went. That she was expecting good. a family show. It's great big C. You don't know to hear the yeah. hear the f word. Yeah. Apologies for saying friggin' on the podcast. We're now <laughs> going to get that little explicit lyrics thing, uh, guys. We're going to talk about the fallout from uh, the places you've come to fear the most, as well as uh, where Dashboard went from there. After this.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, so. The places you've come to feel the most got decent reviews, nothing overwhelming, not a ton of coverage initially anyway. But what was big about this album was it kind of furthered this underground and cult success that was building around Dashboard and around Caraba. And that was heavily, you know, there was a scene around his tour and his live shows as well. But a lot of this was, you know, building in the online emo and pop punk communities. I mentioned Live Journal and Makeout Club earlier. And, and while I think a lot of us look back on those things like kind of haha, you know, they were of the moment and really important to a lot of people and to a lot of bands and how they got out there. So, um, you know, this album eventually did go gold. It took it was a very slow burn to get there. Um, you know, it did hit number five on the U.S. indie chart, but didn't peak higher than number 108 overall. Um, but again, more notable than the sales of review was this kind of buzz around Caraba and the band that was building uh, Caraba as this kind of star, as Rock Sound wrote, the poster boy for the emo resurgence of the early 2000s, which is basically, you know, again, the dominant narrative of nothing feels good. Coming out of this album, Caraba gets the tour with the Weaker Thans and Weezer, which must have been pretty cool at that time. Uh, the Weaker Thans would be cool at any point, but touring with Weezer at that time in particular would be great. Uh, he then released the So Impossible EP, which in my head was just like a LimeWire exclusive. Like in the Lil Wayne episode, we talked about how all the Carter 3 leaks became their own mixtape. I feel like So Impossible was just like just the EP of tracks I had found on LimeWire and didn't know what album they belonged <laughs> on. Uh, a lot of those songs, by the way, are reflections on a girlfriend that he'd left behind in Connecticut and at this time still considered the love of his life. He wrote four interrelated songs in the span of an hour as he chronicled in Nothing Feels Good, and Hands Down was the first of those. So, so a little surprisingly, Hands Down, which is sure I'm I'm sure a song everyone will recognize in a second, 
came out on the So Impossible EP. Uh, the follow-up to places I you've come to feel the most was actually Dashboard's most successful album, the platinum-selling MTV Unplugged 2.0, which was released in December 2002, and it fully displayed Caraba as this acoustic sad boy sensation. Uh, it also, as I mentioned, functions as kind of a, a best of the first three uh, Dashboard albums, um, and really the best of early 2000s emo since he was such a prevalent figure in it. Uh, and again, it included hands down ahead of the its inclusion on an album. So from the So Impossible EP and the MTV Unplugged 2.0, here is Hands Down. So now, Jake, when you asked earlier if Screaming Infidelities is the Dashboard song, uh, while I feel so spiritually and in terms of its importance, I feel like Hands Down is probably the one most people think of. It's interesting. I gave it a listen in prepping for this, and it's not actually a song. I, I was expecting it to be like, oh, yeah, I know the song. I don't really know the song. However, uh, I've mentioned a few times about how when I was in high school, every week I would go to HMV and buy new music and check out new music. When you do it that often, those times, there are certain CD covers that are just like burned in your brain because you saw it so often. The cover to a Mark, a Mission, a Brand, a Scar is absolutely one of those CDs for me. Like I can, that is, that CD cover is actually what I associate the most with this band personally which is kind of odd. Yeah, me too, honestly. And, and like so much so that having not gone back to the albums in a while, when we were deciding which one of these to do, I was like in my head picturing a Mark, a Mission, a Brand, Same. a Scar, yeah. uh, a Mission, a Brand, a Mark, a Saul. It's, <laughs> it's like, that's what I was picturing. But the album I wanted to do was the places you've come to fear the most. So a Mark, a Mission, a Brand, a Scar was this massive follow-up in the summer of 2003. He had obviously major momentum on his side and hands down was a huge track 
to help kind of refresh that momentum at a commercial level. That song hit number eight on the US alternative chart, which to that point was the highest he charted. The album hit number two, eventually going gold. Uh, Really though, when we were deciding which album to do, I went back and listened and it's like, it's kind of a, not a one song album, but it's a thin album in terms of songs I'd really want to dive into. And it's kind of odd that it's like, like I get it and it happens to a lot of artists, but I was surprised, I guess, not being that familiar how like standard 2003 pop punk it is. Yeah. Like, not all of it's, it, uh, but a lot bad. of it. No, not, not it's at just, all. But. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just not that interesting compared to, you know, these first two albums he released made these huge strides and were um, so important. And then it's like, yeah, this had a really good single and, and like a decent follow up single and rapid hope loss. But it just uh, kind of sounds like any, it sounds like a record that anyone could have made at that time. Whereas I feel like the first two sound like the records that he could have made at this time. For sure. That's a good, yeah, that's a, a good framing. Hands down is a, is a killer song though. Uh, Dusk and summer followed in 2006. And despite the three year layoff, it went gold and hit number two on the U S charts. Again, that was aided by the success of what was originally a non, a non album single in 2004, as part of the Spider-Man two soundtrack, uh, a massive success and eventual bonus track on dusk and summer, uh, that kept him kind of relevant through that three-year layoff, uh, Vindicated, which is surely a song. Maybe that's the song most people... that I think that's the song non-Dashboard fans yeah, think of. That is absolutely the song I think of. 100%. Uh, terrific song, by the way, that got overplayed, and I get why people, like, maybe at the time are like, oh, this is Dashboard, like, this is what you've, you've been raving over. Good song if you go back and listen to it. The trick of it is you have to think of it as a sequel to the Chad Kroger, Josie Scott song from the first Spider-Man movie. Yes. So Which if you, also rules. Yeah, so if you're making it a series, then I don't know where the Sum 41 one fits in. I think that's from the first one. And I don't know what the song from three was. But there must be a series. So Stolen and Don't Wait were also singles off that album. But they, uh, you know, this more or less marked the Vindicated and uh, Dusk and Summer more or less marked the end of his kind of big commercial success. He did release The Shade of Poison Trees in 2007 after the ending in 2009 and after nearly a decade, Crooked Shadows in 2008. Uh, They've all experienced moderate success. They're all fine. Like, I don't don't dislike any of them. I've checked them all out and spun them a couple times. Uh, Nothing I've gone back to a ton. Caraba seems okay with that also. I saw him at the Danforth Music Hall in March of 2018, and he was terrific. He mostly just played the hits. Um, It wasn't that dissimilar from, like, his MTV unplugged 2.0 set list he was supposed to be doing actually a 20 year of swiss army romance tour this summer and i had tickets with my youngest brother to go see it at maxwell's in waterloo uh, but that got canceled so oh. he had been doing a lot of uh stuff online including giving out his numbers for fans to text him and chat uh seems like he's always struck me as a someone who seemed like a you know nothing feels good gives this impression and, and interviews i've seen since give this impression seems like a good dude who's kind of accepted his place as like the you know, at this point now, kind of like the dad of this genre and just <laughs> make some new stuff, but also come out and play the hits, get back together with Further Seems Forever, you know, close with hands down every time. There's nothing wrong with playing the hits, I think, especially if you're like, I don't know if you can call him a nostalgia act yet, but if even if you can't, nothing wrong with playing the hits. Yeah, I mean, shit, I went and saw Taking Back Sunday play Tell All Your Friends. <laughs> I, can, I can call Dashboard a, a nostalgia act at this point, too. I think, I guess... Maybe we can come up with some sort of loose rule, but I feel like 
if the album you care about most from an artist is like more than three albums ago, maybe it falls into nostalgia. I don't know. Maybe it needs to be more than that. It's like if but. it came out, if it came out like half your age ago. There you go. That's nostalgic. Uh, all right, Jake. Now is the time in the podcast where we rank our favorite songs uh, from the album or talk around them. I'm more curious in yours because I have an attachment to like six songs on this record. You were coming back to it kind of with fresher ears. What what were your top tracks listening back to the places you've come to fear the most? I mean, I think the best track on the album is Screaming Infidelities. Like, I think that's, it's, I think it's one of those cases where like the biggest one is the best one. Um, I kind of like the ones, I really like Saints and Sailors. I like the ones where he sort of, not skirts the expectation, but it isn't just like that four, four mid tempo emo acoustic track. Not that just speeding yeah, up a- and a little more sarcastic on that yeah, one too, which uh- not that speeding up a little bit really changes his formula all that much, <laughs> but I, d- I appreciate when predominantly acoustic artists find ways in their albums to not just make the single 10 times. If that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Um, I actually had Saints and Sailors ranked as my number one song off the album. It's my my favorite. Obviously, I have a an attachment to Screaming Infidelities. Again, I go unnoticed in the best deceptions as well. And I would rank them in that order. Uh, but Saints and Sailors is my narrowly ahead of Screaming Infidelities, my favorite track on the album. Um, sub question now, which we said we'd get to. Jake, you mentioned earlier, Dashboard is kind of what you think of when someone says emo. Um, and, and, you know, what comes into your head. So I'm curious, having gone back and re-listened, what your most dashboardy dashboard songs are. Like what are, if, if dashboard is what you think of when you, he, when you think of an emo artist, what songs do you think of when you think of dashboard? I mean, it's tough, right? Because dashboard, I think are so linked as being that thought and sound that it's hard for me not to pick like just the, I, like, as you said, I think you were spot on that the most dashboardy song for non-dashboard fans is it has to be vindicated. Like just <laughs> the way the way the chorus works and like I'm going to get the lyrics wrong, but um, the like the way he sort of trails off on the the I am right. I swear I'm right like that. That stanza of vindicated. I am selfish. I am wrong. I am right. I swear I'm right. That to me, if someone's like, describe 2000s emo to me, I'd be like, here you go. That is exactly how that chorus is exactly how I would describe it. Yeah. Um, I think Screaming Infidelity stands out the most just because like, I think the people who are unfamiliar with, you know, to go back to the the summer joke of one guitar and a lot of complaining, like that's that's kind of the one and the most dashboard song can't be a. Uh, uh, more positive one. I would have, again, I go on notice next just because it is like the unrequited teen love anthem. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, like hands down works because it's got the dashboard s- sound very much, but it's also like, it's, it's a nice song, but it's cheesy in the way, in the most like true to the genre possible way. Uh, and then vindicated in the same style. Jake, we have a sub sub question. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. So in the song the best deceptions chris grabba mentions a certain award and i'm wondering jake if you look back on your life to what do you give your personal best deceptions and clever cover story award to like 
almost everything that came out of my mouth from the age of 13 to 24. Um, oh, boy. I don't know. My entire personality had, as a, as a yeah, teenager. I'm, I'm sure, like, there's definitely some good ones, for sure. Like, But none of them were ever, like, particularly wild. They were more just, like, st- stupid, like, shit that I thought was cool that probably wasn't cool that I said I did, like... I went to this, I snuck into a music festival or some nonsense like that. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like just, I would say that I was never, I wasn't really like, I had a facade up for a very long time to use a therapy word. So I think yeah. just kind of all that. Hey, the last time, yeah, ther- therapy makes sense. Man. The, the last time I talked about, uh, a sad guy this much was in therapy so <laughs> me chris grabber i'm right there with you um yeah i don't i don't have a good answer for that i just wanted to make the joke and put you on the spot uh so as we as we kind of wrap up here you know I, i'm going to share my side of this first because we obviously have different connections to them and we're coming back to them from different places um dashboard's a weird one for me where it's almost been like not quite a u-shape but uh you know a parabolic curve for sure where Obviously, I I loved them and associated heavily with them as a teen and into my early 20s. And then I kind of went through a period of, you know, as I got into more hip hop or, or got into, you know, sometimes music just like music you love just falls by the wayside, you know, in a way that never happened for me for like Blink-182 and Taking Back Sunday and Fall Out Boy, who I still will fire up from time to time. You know, there was a long stretch where I didn't listen to Dashboard and I thought maybe it just like I'd outgrown it or whatever. But coming back to it, I actually think it holds up kind of well, like better than a lot of the stuff from that era. And I get that, you know, the some of the the cheesiness and some of the sadness, it can get a little thick at times. But I find myself still really appreciating it. And not only do I think some of the songs hold up well, because Karaba is a really talented songwriter and singer, if a somewhat simple guitarist, um, you know, there's a comfort for me in revisiting these emotions and sitting in these old feelings and the growth since then, or, or lack thereof in some cases, you know, to close out with one more nod to Hanif, he called it an emotional agelessness to these songs. And you kind of, you know, I think at 34, I have to be a bit self-deprecating to accept that and to still, you know, admit to identifying with some of those feelings or or appreciating that I once admit, uh, identified with those feelings. Uh, but I very much have time for it still. So I've come, I loved Dashboard, got away from it, and I've come back around on, actually, no, this wasn't of just of the moment. They're, they're good. Yeah, I think that I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, like, this has made me suddenly connect with this record or this band and that I'm going to go listen to them a ton, but I definitely appreciate them more than I think I expected to. I like, I expect to come in kind of dismissing this out of hand. I won't lie, but I do think there's a lot more value to it than I think I ever gave it credit for. That's fair. That's all. That's all I ask. That's all I wanted out of this, Jake. uh, (laughs) Shown some ground. Yeah, exactly. All right. It's time to pick a song for the mixtape. And I think we're probably going to, just go with Screaming Infidelities? Does that work for you? I mean, I'm going to leave this one to you because this is like one of the Blake albums. So I think yeah, it's I mean, only it's right. certainly. I think it's it's either Screaming Infidelities because to me it's the most dashboard song and my introduction to the band. If you wanted to go Saints and Sailors because, you know, it was fun and a little different, I'd, uh, I'd be okay with that. But my vote would be Screaming Infidelities. Cool. I'm good with it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Jake, thank you. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.